Welcome to the Let's Talk About Care podcast. From carehome.co.uk and homecare.co.uk, the leading reviews websites for care homes and home care. Hello, I'm Angeline Albert. Welcome to this episode of Let's Talk About Care podcast. Care homes up and down the country are fighting back against coronavirus outbreaks. This includes Anita Astle, the Managing Director of Wren Hall Nursing Home in Nottingham, where 13 out of its 54 residents have died of the coronavirus. Her determination to stop any more COVID-19 deaths led her to set up an isolation suite and the Red Team. This is a group of staff selected to work in the suite 24 hours a day. Awarded an MBE for her services to older people, Anita has been shocked by the government's response to the crisis. She has shed tears, but she says she has no time to be angry. Anita herself has survived the coronavirus and is delighted by the survival of a 102-year-old woman who was one of the first to leave the care home's isolation suite. The morale of her team has also been boosted by the community, she says, and the love from people has kept her going. Anita, thank you for taking the time to talk today. Thank you. Sadly, we've had... 13 people that have died over the past four-week period. Uh, How many residents were living at the care home? 54. When did the first resident die? So the first resident died in hospital on the 25th of March. Did you suspect that it was coronavirus when he got ill? He'd been in hospital. He didn't go into hospital with coronavirus-related illness. He'd had a fall and fractured his hip. And while he was in hospital he had um, developed symptoms of coronavirus. He was tested for coronavirus in hospital and unfortunately tested positive. It takes two to 14 days for the incubation period. Mm -hmm. We don't know where he caught it. It may well have been that he caught it within the care home because the very next day that we were made aware that he tested positive, we had two people in the care home that started with symptoms. They are still with us. They moved out of isolation after 14 days. Can you tell me a bit about the first resident and what was he like as a person? Um, He was a great character. He liked to walk around. He he was living with a dementia. Um, He did get rather frustrated at times because he couldn't express himself well. He used to really enjoy visits from his family and particularly his grandson. The last six months of his life was living with us. He was 86. As the days went on, more and more residents were displaying symptoms. And what was going through your mind at that time when you were going into work every day? It was one of fear. You know, what does this mean? We've now got COVID. How is that going to affect people? And I I can remember the first time we'd got COVID-19 in the building and actually crying. Because actually I was at home. And I just broke down and cried and thought, this is going to be devastating. I don't think I I really appreciated how devastating it was going to be. Unable to come to work for the 13 days. I was up at six o'clock every morning on the computer. 
I didn't leave the computer till half nine. My mobile phone was almost glued to my ear trying to support staff. And I was feeling absolutely dreadful. I was in pain. I was, I mean, it was just an awful situation. So emotionally and physically, I was drained, but I was trying my damnedest to support everybody. It was like something else that I've never experienced before. I hope I never experience it again. The fact that you're actually here able to talk about this. Can you tell me about some of those residents in the care home who, who passed away? So there was a mix of men and women. Yeah, none of them were expected to die at the time that they did. So I can only say that COVID um, hastened their, their demise. Yes, they all had complex needs. Most of them could mobilise independently. They were very active, participate in various activities dependent on their interests. So it was just a real immense loss that they're no longer with us. We've had 32 residents who have had symptoms at some time. We've had 87 staff either had symptoms or have been self-isolated. So 32 residents out of 54, 87 staff members out of 142 got ill. So we'd already looked at the building, we'd already identified how we created an isolation suite um, and we created that area. As people were showing symptoms, we were moving them into that area. The isolation suite is four bedrooms upstairs, four bedrooms downstairs. There's a separate toilet and a separate lounge. All the bedrooms have toilet and wash basin. And also in the isolation suite, there's a shower room. So people were able to be um, supported without mixing with anybody else in the care home. And then it was okay. So we've looked at the practical side of things. We've put best practice into place. But still, people day by day were showing symptoms and having to move into the isolation area. There was a point where the isolation area was full. So where we had people that were immobile, they stayed in their own bedrooms. People that were mobile and didn't understand the reason for isolation, we moved those people into the isolation suite because they could go into the lounge area and be supported there safely without infecting anybody else. The concern was that over a period of time, people were still displaying symptoms. And so at that time, we created a dedicated team to look after those that were in isolation. Both throughout the day and night, there were the same staff that were working with those people that were in isolation. And that seems to have coincided with no new cases. Whether that's the case or whether the virus has taken its toll out on us, we've worked through it. What, I'm not sure what the impact of the red team, that's what we call our isolation team of staff had. We do seem to have seen a reduction in the people 
who are now becoming infected. The first um, case of coronavirus with a resident who sadly died. At that time, your care home was in lockdown. You'd had stopped all visitors and family from coming to the care home. Yeah. And did you have any personal protective equipment for staff? We had PPE. It was the quality that we normally use. And now there's information coming out from specialists that have advised on Ebola and SARS virus to say, actually, the quality of the PPE currently being used as standard is not adequate. There have been times that we've been frantic because we felt that we may run out at any time. For instance, at the peak, we were using 394 masks every day. That's now reduced down to the red team using 96 a day. But now because the guidance has changed yet again and every member of staff is using a mask, then the usage has gone up again, but it hasn't hit the usage of 396 per day where we were really struggling. And when you say you were struggling to source the PPE at that time, uh, what kind of response were you getting back? None. So what did you do? How did you get the PPE? We contacted our local MP. He worked his socks off to try and source us PPE and eventually our local hospital came to the rescue with a thousand masks. The general public and local businesses have been bringing us masks, um, face shields and gloves. One of our care home colleagues who has a number of care homes managed to get quite a substantial delivery of masks from China. We were able to purchase from him. I understand that some school pupils were even helping out making some face shields for you. Yeah, we've had local colleges and schools that have either done 3D masks or they've made them out of acetate and foam. That's given us some protection as well. So you've had a massive response from the community. You faced, like many care homes around the country, price hikes. How did that make you feel? You know, when we were hearing that there was plenty PPE, it was like, um, where? We were also hearing from colleagues in the NHS that they were struggling for PPE. And also home care was struggling. So we were hearing that there was enough PPE. We were hearing that the government was giving out PPE. And yet it sounds like vast quantities that were given out. Actually, for each care home, it had turned out to be 300 masks. Well, I told you at our peak, we were using 396 a day. So 300 didn't go anywhere. It didn't even supply us with enough masks for a day. So it was really frustrating. And I suppose if we had had time to sit and think about it, we would have been angry. But we just didn't have time. We were trying to deliver care to people that were sadly very ill and dying. And then our hearts were going out to the relatives that weren't able to come in. And even if they did come in, they were having to wear PPE. So they couldn't get close to their loved ones in a way that would be natural to do so. So it was just all overwhelming, soul-destroying, 
quite raw and broken, I think, was um, how we felt. The toll that it must have taken on staff and on yourself, knowing that so many residents have died in such a short period of time. I mean, how have you managed to support staff and, and how, how have they been coping? Are they coping? I'm really worried about the after effect of this. If we look at our red teams, they have been working very closely together over a three week period. Now, because we are moving people out of isolation, that team is starting to disband. I'm very mindful that we haven't had time to debrief that team. Although we've seen them and we've made sure that we're supporting them on a day-by-day -day basis, we haven't been able to sit them down and say, okay, so how are you feeling? Is there anything else we can do to support you? So we've got WhatsApp groups that where we're using with our teams. I have said, look, how are you feeling? We're now pay playing catch-up. I'm also reading research papers about what support people need and when they need it. My staff are supporting me, although um, social distancing is supposed to be in force, um, I think I've had more hugs from the staff team than ever before. I'm getting lots of texts and messages from everybody. And then there's the colleagues in the wider community that have been really supportive. So I've got a friend who's a geriatrician He's been immense support. There's lots of love and support out there. It's difficult. People all text, email, phone and say, what can I do for, to help? And it's not really physical help that we're after. It's, it's recognition that people are thinking about us, that we matter. Obviously, with the residents who are dying, you wanted to contact the families and ordinarily they would be coming in and there would be some kind of public recognition of and celebration of the resident's life. Yeah, some relatives did come in. They were able to come in. They did wear PPE. Um, we very quickly had to find innovative ways of connecting people who were dying, our loved ones that were dying, with their families. And we used things like Skype, FaceTime, you know, but it's not the same, is it? Stroking somebody's face as they slip away while you're wearing a glove on your hand is just not the same. Not being able to snuggle up to somebody and cradle them without PPE. With PPE, it just creates a barrier that just felt so wrong. I asked a member of staff this morning how she was feeling. And she just looked at me and she just said, COVID 19's in our lives now. And I just thought, oh my God, is that is that how this this virus has affected us? We've just had to become accustomed to it. Almost battle weary. Yeah. I just felt really sad to hear that the residents and at the time when they were displaying symptoms before they died and the other staff who were displaying symptoms were any of them tested two people in hospital that were tested two people in the care home were tested 
one of the people in hospital tested positive, one of the people in the nursing home tested positive. After those tests, we weren't able to get anybody else tested. Why was that? Because we were told once you've got a positive case, then treat everybody who shows symptoms as if they were positive. On the 14th of April, that Matt Hancock announced that there'd be wide testing available for care homes, both for staff and residents. We've still yet to see that. On the 12th of April, we did receive, which was a Sunday, we received an email from CQC to say we'd been chosen for a pilot, testing pilot, and our staff could now start to be tested. We had 10 staff that were tested, five were positive, five were negative, all were showing the same symptoms. We received 10 self-testing kits. We chose 10 asymptomatic residents to test with those testing kits and one of them came back positive. So that person's quickly moved into isolation and we're just hoping that nobody's been infected through that asymptomatic carrier. But I'm not even convinced that the tests are accurate enough. Am I really going to move people out of isolation because they've had a negative test result when they could be infecting people? Having had 13 deaths, I'm not going to risk anybody else dying. They all had the same symptoms, but five were positive and five were negative, as you said. Were you asked to take hospital patients who hadn't been in your care home before? We have been asked to take people and we have accepted people. All of them that have come in have been tested. Did they test positive or negative? Both. Right. We wouldn't have accepted those that were positive had we not got our isolation suite. Those that are coming in that are positive are going straight into our isolation suite. They're being supported by our red team, which is a dedicated team that doesn't go anywhere else, that just stays in the isolation suite. We are confident that we are not spreading this virus anywhere else. Anybody who's coming in, whether they've got symptoms or not, I would say need to be isolated at least for 14 days and then they can come out of isolation if needs be. How big is your isolation unit? How many beds do you have? There's eight beds. And how many of those beds are currently occupied? Four. You had a 102-year-old resident as well who, who got coronavirus and survived. Yes. She was one of the first out of isolation. And how did that make you feel? Um, we, obviously, we were delighted that um, she survived. And for all of those that have moved out of isolation, we're delighted. It's just really confusing about how people react to this virus. How is it that some are surviving and others, you know, aren't so lucky? Was coronavirus recorded as the cause of death on death certificates? None of the people other than the person in hospital died with confirmed COVID-19. So none of them had been tested. The cause of death was put down as suspected COVID-19. And then to my knowledge, the registrar then told the GP to be definitive. 
And then the death certificate had to be rewritten saying COVID-19. So the suspected had to be removed. In one instance, the family were in the car park um, as their loved one was brought out of the home. And do you have any plans once the lockdown is over to commemorate in any way the lives of those residents who died? Yeah, at the moment within the home, we've got a gallery of those that we have lost. Staff are writing how they're feeling on a mural that they've done. We will have a remembrance memorial gathering so that families can come back and remember their loved ones with us. Morale has been boosted by the generosity of people. Staff are just totally overwhelmed with the really kind and thoughtful gestures. You know, it's not just PPE. We've had people make us headbands that have got buttons on the side so that we can clip the mask onto the buttons because people were getting sores at the end, at the back of their ears where the mask were irritating them. We've had donations of chocolates, toiletries. Now staff, obviously they shower at work before they go home, so they change their clothes and they go out smelling of roses because we've got all sorts of toiletries that have been donated. So, you know, we can't thank everybody enough. See, the community's been great. What do you think of the government's handling of the coronavirus crisis in care homes? I don't think much to it. The guidance has been poor. It's been conflicting. It seems that what's been recommended for us to wear in terms of PPE is dependent on the supply chain. So because there isn't much of it, you know, that leaves you thinking, is this around safe practice? Or is it because there's a limited resource? I'm just really disappointed that the care badge providers have to pay for it. When Matt Hancock wore that care badge, I thought, is this going to be something that is now given to every care worker? You can only buy a minimum of I think it's a hundred and something pounds worth. What is the recognition for these low paid workers that are sacrificing so much and there is nothing? And how much have you spent on PPE since the lockdown? In two weeks, we'd spent almost 10,000 pounds. And how many items of PPE did you, that get you? Not a lot. I haven't even totaled up in terms of gloves and aprons, but on masks alone, masks and face shields, then we'd, we'd spent over £9,000. Overall, the impact of the pandemic on your care home, do you think your care home can survive this crisis and continue to operate financially? So currently we've got eight empty beds. We're used to running at full capacity. Having those empty beds is going to severely impact on our financial viability. And if we continue to be spending the amount we're spending on PPE, I don't think that we'll be able to function much beyond another six to eight weeks.
What, if anything, has kept you going through this whole period? The love of people, the love of the job that I do, the fantastic people that I work for, the amazing people that we care for and their wonderful families. And also the love that our community has shown us. All of that has kept us going. And if you had any words for the Prime Minister, what would they be? Please look at social care, recognise how social care is supporting the NHS and that without social care the NHS would be in a mess it would be at a standstill all the hospital beds would be full and there would be very little capacity within the community to support people to get out of hospital so recognize the fantastic work that social care is doing and reward it appropriately Thank you very much, Manita. You're doing a wonderful job. I can't imagine uh, how, how it must be day to day to do, do what you do. Thank you. Anita and her colleagues experienced the emotional distress that comes with a coronavirus outbreak. She is unsure of what impact fighting COVID-19 has taken on the mental health of her staff. Like Boris Johnson, Anita survived the coronavirus, but his government's decision to test all residents and staff in care homes came far too late for many of her care home residents. She describes inaccurate testing, a lack of PPE, poor guidance for care homes among the list of government failures. The future of her business, she says, is uncertain, but she pushes it to the back of her mind and draws comfort from the community who have rallied round her when she publicly cried out for assistance. In the end, it is her passion for caring for others, no matter what, which is seeing her and her remaining residents through this crisis. I hope you found useful this episode of Let's Talk About Care. If you would like to share your comments about this episode, whether it be how you think the government is handling coronavirus outbreaks in care homes, or even if you have your own coronavirus experiences to share, you can email podcast.carehome.co.uk search carehome.co.uk on Facebook or you can tweet at carehome underscore co underscore UK. Thanks for listening. The Let's Talk About Care podcast.